Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by The Dollar Menu, nothing says bargain like chemicals pretending to be food. Now let's dim the lights and start the show. Welcome everybody to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Cookieville Minimum Security Orphanarium. Pick out your favorite subsidy at Cookieville. Welcome everybody to The Pestle. I am Wes. And I am Todd. And this is a film podcast where we do analysis from the perspective of filmmakers, actors, dancers. We we have our own dance crew. No, no, we do not. That would be the worst <laughs> no, dance crew in America. Oh, God. Please, oh, no. Yeah. And so, yeah, we do a, a, a lot of analysis and we're usually on the hunt for something that, you know, speaks to us on an emotional level or from a cinematic level just to get better at this process. And more than anything, I think, spread the joy and love of our passion of movies. Yeah, this is our 143rd episode, which is freaking insane. Like That's crazy. In a couple months, it'll be our fourth year doing this, which is even crazier to say out loud. <laughs> oh my gosh. How does that happen? I don't know. I guess one day at a time, right? A day at a time. I, I talk to people and I feel like I'm generally a, a fairly lackadaisical person, which is a polite way of saying I feel lazy all the time. But we've done 143 episodes and I think it's just a matter of you build up a tolerance of doing a thing. You create a habit and then you find, you know, that becomes normal, you know, ritualized. Like the, doing this show is a ritualized thing. The first month we did it, it caused, you know, lots of anxiety in me. And how do I prepare? I over prepare. And then, you know, it probably still took another two years after that before I settled down a little on the microphone. And after that, after you build this new thing, whether it's a new diet or whatever exercise, then you can build new habits, you know? And so, I think for me, I get so used to building these new habits that I forget that I have them and start to feel lazy all over again. Like, oh, I don't do anything. And then you start a new habit and like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah I've written, you know, 10 pages today on a thing I'm working on. And so I don't know. You never seem lazy. I don't know if you ever actually feel lazy because I feel like you you're a busy person. Like you always have something that you're doing. Yeah, I get I definitely get lazy. Absolutely. But more than laziness, I get focus fatigue, right? I, if you want to call it that, where I'm working on something and then I just, I'm exhausted with it and I need to move on to something else. But I feel like I'm always doing something usually, even if that something is just watching a lot of movies, I justify it by doing this podcast, right? Like, oh, it's, you know, it's research, it's research. But I just love watching movies, you know. I guess I don't need justification for it. But overall, I like to stay busy for sure. But there are definitely times. I mean, this room is a good example. I I built it and then for maybe two months, maybe even longer. I can't remember when I finished it. Two months ago, I didn't paint it. I, just, I built it and I was toast. I could not, I just could not get up the gumption to, to paint the thing. And then finally yesterday, uh, I painted it. My wife and I did it together and, and it's done with the exception of the door. The door looks like crap and I got to do something about that, but everything else looks really, really good. But yeah, that's a good example of like, I, I mean, I guess you could call that laziness, but it was just, man, I was so spent from doing 
from building the whole thing in general that I just building yeah I, a building I built a building and I didn't know how when I started so it was uh so I think everybody has that I definitely have it man I I do in some ways some ways even worse I think because I like throw myself into something at some point I can just say done and walk away like totally fine as long as I have something else to walk away to hmm. you know yeah I I struggle with that because I'll I'll be really excited about a project write it, prep it, scout the location, put together a shot list, go shoot it. Shoot day is always really fun whenever you're well-prepared. And then I get in post, start to get a little taxed, talk myself into, I have a process that I walk myself through in order to get through post. I like, I'll organize footage and start talk myself into doing one more step, just comb through the footage now, you know, make your pulls and et cetera. And that eventually culminates in an actual edit. When I start getting close to it being done, I'm like, man, I'm so over this. I'm just ready to to be done. And I think I'm always looking forward to not having anything to do. And then whenever that moment comes, that's dread. Like I've never experienced, like having nothing to do <laughs> is existential <Wow>. dread. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Ugh. I get it. And so, yeah, that's when you start cooking up new things. Like, okay, I, I need a new project. Isn't it weird? Because it's like, it's the the process that's the that's the gold right the yeah. process yeah but it can also be taxing you know where you're in the process and you're thinking i can't wait for this to be done i can't wait for this to be done when it's done it's just it's done you know <laughs> we've talked about this before is those those monks in tibet who make those <laughs> right. those sand sculptures right and it takes them years to do it and then they just destroy the whole thing the moment they're done because <laughs> it's about the process but i guess you gotta love sand <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> or the meditative process of actually putting it all together right yeah 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 so yeah, that's interesting so you, so is it hard for you to edit not hard to do it but like you know you know when you have like two hours of footage and you gotta make you know in an into 20 minutes is that is that difficult i get it depends on a couple of things one is a scripted or is it documentary style documentary style is really exhausting yeah because you got to be super in tune with everything that's happening every moment and so i'm scrubbing through when i shoot documentary style i spend heavy amounts of time combing through footage and trying to build a mental checklist of what a story is going to look like here's how i begin this section and here's the story i tell through this section and so that becomes exhaustive whereas with narrative stuff you know I've already shot listed every scene and now it's just a matter of did I have any circle takes, which doesn't matter to me. I know what my other producer, uh, Ricky, loves circle takes. What is that? I don't. So whenever you have a scene, let's say, you know, scene two and you shoot 10 takes, right? You're you're shooting oh. someone's monologue and, you know, you get through the sixth take and you're like, oh, that was really good. Hey, circle that one. And that way, whenever you get into post, it's a note for your editor to say, Oh, he really likes take six and eight. And those are the really usable takes that, you know, he enjoyed. And so I need to focus on those heavily to see what's usable out of those. And it's a good starting point to just kind of build a, your scaffolding of your edit. I don't really pay attention to those because I am both the writer, director, and usually the editor of my work. And so I already have in my head what I want. And it doesn't matter because on set, you're experiencing one thing but you're experiencing it a whole new way through the edit, through the camera. Cause I don't, I try not to stay married to my monitor too much. I, I try to watch the performance, you know, depending on the, the project, if it's 360, I have to watch the monitor. There's no other way. 
or else I'm in the shot. That's the nature of 360. Mm. But 2D, I want to I want to watch the emotions and see how it's hitting me almost like a play. And then but you get in the post and now you got to experience it through the camera. Like is is the camera feeling the same thing that I was feeling? So it, it almost doesn't matter what felt good on set. Now, the only real question is what feels good in the edit? And for that, I just don't really find notes useful unless it's for a client. And then the client might have objections to specific takes. And those are good for the notes to say, oh, we really can't use this because they use this word and that's a no-no word. This is the phrase that they want. Like I did a thing on mental health care. And so terminology was very touchy, like you would expect it to be over, you know, a highly sensitive topic like that. But even within that, like because it's a narrative, I can just focus on, oh, that take doesn't work, you're out. That take doesn't work, you're out. And then it, really, I just kind of watch the footage, you know, once or twice. First time, everything. Second time, the, my favorites. And then from there, it's just, yeah, it's, it's sketching out the the edits. And, oh, this take works a little bit better because of the reaction shot works and clicks better and blah, blah, blah. And so, yeah, uh, it really does depend. But I I have an easier time depending on if I'm in the footage or not. And, and how, you know, passionate I am about the, the project, the more passionate, the more painful it is to edit. That's just asking mm -hmm. for trouble. And now I have to come to grips with myself as a writer and director, as opposed to like, oh, this is just a talking head video about a whatever, a cup, you know, it's like, eh, that's fine. Here's my best take. But they, they didn't flow yeah. any words. They looked good the product look good, we're done. <laughs> like, and then so color it, make it pop. Do you ever look forward to the day where you don't edit, where you shoot, you direct and you shoot and you throw it to an editor and then you come in post like, you know, a skeleton edit, I guess. Part Is that of me something does, that you would ever do? Part of me really looks forward to that. I think I got to get to a much bigger level, like where I, where I have, you know, seven figure, you know, six, seven figure, budgets which one's six that's a hundred thousand no hundred thousand yeah. yeah so i need seven figure budgets before i get into that phase just because i don't trust anybody to edit my footage and feel what i mm -hmm. feel i'm I, I i think i'm a highly sensitive person and so I, I try to be very in tune with the emotions of whatever's happening on camera and whatever a shot may represent to me even if it's you know a shot without a person in it like i there's still something emotionally that's being communicated that I try to be highly in tune with that will speak to whatever the, the film is. I've seen people edit my footage before and I'm like, that's not what that shot was for. It's not why I grabbed it. Yeah. And so I have a hard time buying into the effort and the sensitivity of editors that are on my similar level that, you know, even if they're more technically proficient, which shouldn't be very hard. Like I'm, I'm pretty technically proficient, but there's still a lot of stuff. I don't know. Like I don't use, you know, Avid and I don't know some of these frame blending things that people like to do. There's some morphing that you can do in Premiere, which I've only used a couple times. It usually has a tail in there. So it has to be very specific shots in a very specific circumstance before the morph cut really works in Premiere. Whereas in, uh, in Avid, these, these big guys, these heavy hitters, they will splice takes without ever taking a, a cut away. Like I'm going to splice two separate takes and to merge the perfect performance without ever cutting away. Like there's some really highly technical uh, capabilities out there and I'm not on that level. But even if 
someone on my similar pay scale is on that level, I still don't, I don't trust them to like do the, to see it the way I'm going to see it. And so I look forward to that day, but I have a suspicion that I just don't have enough trust in humanity for, for that. (laughs) Well, okay. What if, what if you did your edit, you got it to a place where you were happy, right? Like maybe not, maybe it wasn't as tight as you wanted. Right. Yeah. But you have all the beats in there all the emotional moments in there and you had the money to give it to a heavy hitter who could then, you know, polish, do their magic, tighten it up, polish it and stuff like that. Is that ideal? Would that That be something very ideal? Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. Okay. And I guess this conversation kind of, you know, pardon the pun morphed into, into the question of relinquishing, not power, but relinquishing um, responsibility, I guess Mm. a little bit. And at what level, because everybody has their different, yeah levels right like mine is much lower than yours i think i think mine is <laughs> it's like i i pretty much know that everybody knows more than me so <laughs> i have no problem giving my stuff to anybody else like what do you think you know but yeah that that's interesting that that seems like to me a pretty healthy marriage of you wrote it you shot it you got your beats in there you got your emotional aspects in there and you can even circle moments like this is important don't touch this or or whatever or you know don't lose this shot don't lose that shot kind of thing and for me i think it would give me a lot of peace just knowing that i know what what the footage is i know the best that i can get out of this footage and now i get a fresh set of eyes who are a pros pro and they can come in and say oh you're rushing this moment like if you give this moment a little bit more space, you'll get a lot more out of that emotional impact that you're wanting. And they'll see what I'm trying to do. And just like you said, they'll, they'll add though. It'll only get better. Yeah. And that would be really, really cool. Yeah. And yeah. Give me some, some level of like, and that's something that can happen relatively soon. Yeah. You could, you could do that with, you know, one of the projects you're working on now. Yeah, that's true. Eventually need, need budget. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. You'll get it. Okay. Whoa, what are we doing today, man? <laughs> oh, yeah. So today we're covering Hunt for the Wilder People, which was a, uh, a reco. So if you haven't watched it, pause this episode and go watch it. It is streaming. Where was it streaming again? Is it Netflix? Netflix. Netflix. Yeah. On Netflix. <laughs> yeah. We'll talk about a few things. Um, we'll touch on some of the deadpan humor. We'll also take a dive into perspective and using perspective to tell a story and other such stuff and things and stuff. And a quick synopsis of the film. A national manhunt is ordered for a rebellious kid and his foster uncle who go missing in the new wild New Zealand bush. Written and directed by Taika Waititi, based on the book by Barry Crump, starring Julian Dennison as Ricky Baker, Sam Neill as Heck, Rima de Waita as Bella, and Rachel House as Paula. You know, sometimes in life, it seems like there's no way out like a sheep trapped in a maze designed by wolves. And you know that if you're ever in that situation, there are always two doors to choose from. And through the first door, oh, it's easy to get through that door and on the other side, waiting for you are all the nummiest treats you can imagine. Fanta, Doritos, LMP, Burger Rings, Coke Zero. But you know what? There's also another door, not the Burger Ring door, not the Fanta door. Another door that's harder to get through. Guess what's on the other side? Anyone want to take a guess? 
Vegetables? No. No, not vegetables. No. Jesus? You would think Jesus. I thought Jesus the first time I, I, I come across that door. It's not Jesus. It's another door. And guess what's on the other side of that door? Jesus. Jesus, yeah, Jesus. It's tricky like that, Jesus. So let us pray to Jesus, please make it a bit easier to get through those doors and to find you and your bounty of delicious confectionery. He's tricky like that, Jesus. He's tricky <laughs> like that, that Jesus. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, what did you even know about this movie? No, I'd never never heard of it. Did it did it hit? Yeah, you know, it was really good. I think kind of a small thing that ruined it for me is that Julian Dennison was also in this Christmas movie, Santa Claus Christmas movie this past year. And it was it's just terrible. It's really, really bad. And he's bad in it. And like everything about it is bad. And I say it's bad because it's the second one. The first one was really, really good. And it's got what's his name? I always forget the name. We talked about it. Kurt Russell, thank you. you got Kurt Russell in it. And so it's really, really, it, the first one's really good. And this other one is just not very good. And he's in it and he's not good in it. So it kind of ruined for So me. you were a victim of a bad holiday movie. <laughs> I was a victim of a bad holiday movie, yes. Because his performance is really good. Yeah, yeah. It's re- I liked it. I liked his performance a lot. Sam Neill, I kept seeing his face and I was thinking, I know that. I know that guy. Is that the Jurassic Park guy? It's gotta be. I kept looking at him thinking, that's definitely him. Wait, maybe it's not him. No, it's definitely him. And then I looked it up and it was, it was Sam Neill. And instantly I like loved it, right? I was like, yes, Sam Neill's, that's great. I mean, I wouldn't watch it again, mm-hmm. but I loved the performances. I thought it, moments of it were hilarious. I thought that their their disregard for the passage of time was very interesting and fun. You know, when he breaks his foot, they stayed in that same place for six weeks while his foot healed. Like, wow, okay. But it like passes like that, you know, and they don't make any mm-hmm. kind of other reference unless you're paying attention, you don't even notice, right? Which I thought was really interesting. You know, I li- the way that uh, the ant dies, they kill off the ant was really smart. You know, it's not like this dramatic thing. It's just, she's already already gone and, and Heck is cry- crying over her. And um, yeah, it says a lot. I kind of saw it coming, but that's fine. I, I didn't see... I guess I assumed maybe she would die, but I didn't really know what would happen. I just thought something bad is going to happen because they were, Ricky and her were starting to get along. He really liked her. You know, she would kiss him goodnight. He would say thank you. Like they were started to be nice to each other. So that can never end well when you have a foster child in the house that is, you know, doesn't like you at first. And then, yeah, something bad's got to happen. And she was wonderful. In it, I thought all all the acting was really great. I thought the deadpan humor was fantastic. It was it was a lot of fun watching it once through. I, I don't think I would watch it again necessarily, but I wouldn't deter someone from watching it either. You know, if someone asked, "Hey, what do you think of this movie?" I'd say, "Oh, it's good. Yeah, definitely watch it for sure." It just wasn't something that I could go back to. Yeah, it's funny because you saw it coming a mile away that Bella, the auntie, was going to die. You're like, "Oh, this." I was completely caught off guard. I was oh, wow. just thinking like, oh, where are we going from here? This is, he got, he got, I mean, I had the same thoughts like, oh, he's like part of a family now. So now I guess he just needs to to get closer with Heck. 
And I'm curious, like, where is this going? No, I'll kill Bella. <laughs> yeah. I felt like I was in an episode of like South Park where you just, the, the record skips. And you're like, you killed him. And so, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I loved it. I loved even just that, that brief moment of getting to know her and seeing him kind of being redeemed or, or at least seen. I think that was his big problems. He really wasn't seen. Hmm. There was these things that were kind of assumed about him by Paula, the, the welfare worker. And instead we see him through her eyes and it was nice. Like, okay, we're, we're, we're building towards something. Then you rip that away. And now we have to start from scratch again. And there's this interesting little thing that happens where heck has to make a decision, right? Of, am I letting him go? Yeah. I don't really care that much, or at least I'm not going to let on that I do. Heck kind of lives in this world of self-rejection and self-exile or like a self-imposed exile where he just refuses to let anybody like, and, and Bella was his one person. And so, yeah, I think I got through a little bit. It was, it was, I think the first moment that really hit me was the, the humor, the, the deadpan humor. Cause at first we're building, we're, you know, crossing over the, the New Zealand paradise. Like if you've never been to New Zealand or if you've only seen it through Lord of the Rings, you might think that's not really New Zealand. That's really New Zealand. Like it's so beautiful and it has a, you know, beautiful bush, you know, <laughs> if that's what, you know, they call it. <laughs> Sorry, I, I didn't know. Like it's not an outback. It's you went a, there, not me. Forest. <laughs> <laughs> and so you, you don't really understand like how absolutely breathtaking this, this land is. And it feels kind of dramatic as you're building up this car is coming in. And then we get to Paula kind of giving the the backdrop of of Ricky. She's like, you don't understand what this what this kid's all about. He's he's a he's a real bad egg. This Ricky, <laughs> you know, we're talking disobedience, stealing, spitting, running away, throwing <laughs> rocks, kicking stuff, defacing stuff, burning stuff and uh, loitering and graffiti. <laughs> like, <laughs> and the way that I love that it's this Full list. so good because it's a it's a setup for the tone of the film. And the way it's building up, you're expecting something really bad. Like this kid's got a rap sheet, but it's really just normal kid behavior. And the fact that she has to throw in some of these things, you know, disobedience and spitting and and running away. Like those are, <laughs> that's, that's her definition of bad. And so it's great yeah. because it also like, it's communicating, I think the, uh, the stakes of the film, like the really low stakes. And so no one's really that bad in New Zealand. This is a pretty undeadly place. It's pretty safe, you know, comparatively speaking. And so I, yeah. I think it was at that moment whenever I got a hint of the humor that we're going to be dealing with that I was like, okay, I can I can find the the deadpan humor, like endearing and, and silly and the funeral, you know, that we played at the a uh, few minutes ago where he's just given this terrible, like pastoral sermon. He says, it's another door. <laughs> What he thinks on the other so side good. of that door. Yeah, it's Jesus. It's a tricky one, that Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so I it won me over. I think I also liked, you know, the this is a new perspective or at least more fresh one. Hollywood, normal Hollywood films don't really let you hang out in the wilderness in this way, in the forest. And people are living off the land and they're hunting and, you know, they're they're eating their food. And you don't really get a lot of that in, in the wood. You know, it's it's usually much more trying to cast a message about 
I don't know whether it's hunting or, you know, a different view of guns. And I appreciate that even at the end when Ricky, you know, carelessly fires his gun, heck is like, hey, what did I tell you about proper uh, gun responsibility? <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. there's there's a whole fleet of cops on the other side waiting to kill him. And he's still trying to teach his kid about good gun etiquette. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I love that. So it's really it's really refreshing. Just even if you disagree with, you know, their lifestyle and some of their, their views to, to at least experience, you know, a good hearted and good natured perspective of that side of life, that walk of life. I we could use more perspective of of all walks of life. And this felt very even handed because even even within that story, if you want to take it there, and they don't really enforce that. That's not like heavily, that's that's very secondary, tertiary level of the story elements. But even within that, like you still get a fun, even even-handed view of going too far, right? You have, what is it? Psycho Sam in the woods. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so good. Like, Do you think this guy's crazy? He's like, put on these helmets. It'll keep the government from hearing your thoughts. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's like, never mind. <laughs> and it's like, okay, we can have fun both ways. Like it doesn't have to be this perfect echelon of, you know, whatever conservative views or whatever, like, Oh, we're going to have fun. We're going to be interested in both sides and uh, exploring all the, all the avenues. And we're going to do it in a pretty safe space. Like we're in New Zealand. They, and in New Zealand, the idea, I'm sure this is hysterical. The idea that they broke out like whatever machine guns and tanks (laughs) to chase down a kid who just needs to go back. Like uh, it's, they, they ramp it up to a level 10, which I think is hilarious. They got helicopters and like raids. Yeah. (laughs) Like it's SWAT teams. It's absolutely absurd. And I think plays into the over the top deadpan humor of it because they know this is silly. And at the same time, uh, they're going to play it to the bone. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I yeah. I really enjoyed it. I I think I agree with you. It's probably not something that I'll rewatch a bunch. It felt like it stretched a little thin. Some of the story felt stretched a little thin. Like, eh, we probably could have dialed this back a hair. Not that I would at the same time, I don't know that there was anything that was wasted per se. I can't look at this and say, "Oh, I would want to edit out them going for help to save the the guy they found, uh, you know, poisoned in his shack or whatever." Or that was having, I think, kidney, you know, failure or something. Dialysis or yeah, something? Yeah, some, something like that. Something like that. And, and there's, uh, yeah, I don't think there's anything I would want to cut necessarily. I might speed things up a little and try to move a little bit faster. But it's all, I feel like every moment is still kind of earned and you're appreciating like Ricky coming along and growing as a person. And first he can he couldn't survive on his own. Really. He was doing his best, but like he ate through all his rations really quick. (laughs) And he's looking at this guy who caught an eel and he's like, I don't eat slugs. And at the end of that, he's like, yeah, you know what? Slugs aren't so bad. (laughs) And you get the sense of growth that he's appreciating the knack or the neck as the first time watching, I was like the neck. What is that? Okay. It's just the neck. And I think it's their pronunciation. I, I think they're saying the knack, but because they're Kiwis, they, which Sam huh. Elliott, or uh, not Sam Elliott, geez, Sam Neill, his accent Sam I thought Neal. was fantastic from Amazing. an American hearing it. And like, I was really impressed. <laughs> Very. I mean, he never comes out of it. I mean, I, I, I was so impressed. That's one of the reasons why I didn't know it was him. <laughs> and I don't, we don't talk about how good accents are on here. Yeah. You know, like 
maybe one other time in 140 some odd episodes, but it was just incredible. So, so well, like, like I said, that I didn't know it was him. One thing that I think I just need to kind of maybe get over a little bit is that they dip their toe in kind of like this Wes Anderson feel, mm. but didn't go far enough with it. I think that's where I'm hung up a little bit is like, okay, you've given me a, a taste of this kind of, you know, locked off symmetrical kind of like feel mm-hmm. every now and then, but then, then, you know, the crash zooms where we crash zoom into someone's face. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Like when he pops up or something in the woods and he's looking around and then he runs off, <laughs> yeah. you know, like those kinds of things, very Wes Anderson. Yeah. Like, like you cannot do that without, someone saying, Oh, that's Wes Anderson. And yet they didn't go far enough down that rabbit hole. It's like, Mm -hmm. if we're going to do that, then that's a style. And I want to see more of that because that is, it's very specific. It's like a, it's a very specific thing that like we're now looking for, right. Mm -hmm. We're looking for those kinds of things. And so to deviate from that with like, you know, these dolly moves and, you know, wide angle shots that are not symmetrical and, you know, handheld shots, even sometimes like it just was, I didn't know what to think of it because of that. Right. It was like, okay, if you went further down, even you don't have to go all West, you don't have to go full Wes Anderson, <laughs> but, but, uh, you know, stay in that, in that kind of vibe a little bit more. And I would, I would have liked it a whole lot better. I think. Yeah. It's yeah. funny. I guess it, that never occurred to me and I see exactly what you mean, but I think for me, it didn't, it never wrecked me because of the location and the subject matter. It felt kind of unique enough if if i really stop and think about it i can see a little overlap with like moonrise kingdom i don't know which necessarily came out first yeah. i want to say this came out first but the the idea mm-hmm. of yeah like there's other films uh, there's a film called submarine that because of its subject matter and uh, the character like i immediately was like oh you're going wes anderson but and i had that same exact reaction and it kind of took away from uh, the experience a little bit, but here, yeah, it never, it never occurred to me. I was uh, there the whole time. I think the, I, I think going in for me, knowing that it was Taika Waititi and I've already seen some of his other films, I was just expecting some of his dry and uh, wry sense of humor that he brings to his other projects. Like this is what Thor Ragnarok wished it could be and was never going to be. And so, yeah, I, I was able to shrug that off or at least be immune to it <laughs> to some degree. Yeah. All right. All right. Fair enough. Fair For enough. I'll just run down perspective. I don't really yeah. have much. I've already went through half my notes, actually. The perspective helps us see the world through a character's eyes and like emotionally identify with them and their world. And there's a lot of ways that you can build perspective. And one obvious way is through cinematography, whether that's through like a reaction shot, you see how a character in this case, we can frame it in the, in the case of Ricky Baker, because we're largely seeing the world through his eyes. And so we can see the reaction shot of how is Ricky Baker reacting to Bella killing and gutting a hog, a wild hog. Right. And of course we see him drop his gun and faint, or we can see, you know, how he's reacting to heck doing one thing or another. And so reaction shots are one way, sometimes building the geography of the scene from their point of view, for instance, if, you know, the character's tall or then maybe we look down on people from their point of view, or maybe we stay at the same end of the table. Like imagine you have a really long table and we look at everything from that point of view. 
you know, instead of moving around the table, the camera kind of stays rooted right next to them. And that way you're kind of building ge the geography around them. And now we're identifying with their world, how they're seeing the world. But there's another way you can also, you know, build up perspective through who we actually spend time with, like how we enter and exit a scene. And in this case, like we spend most of our time with Ricky, nearly every scene, not every scene, but almost every scene is with him and usually even at, you know, his, his height. If you think about when we first meet Ricky, we jump pretty quickly into being told by Paula the kind of person he is, right? The whole disobedient, spitting, running, kicking, you know, all that stuff. And we see all that stuff, right? We cut away to him kind of reenacting these things, spitting over the bridge and all that kind of stuff. And when we do that, we see all those actions from a distance. Like we're not right up on him. We're kind of across the street in a, in a lot of these shots. And that's because it's her perspective of Ricky, but it isn't really who he is or how he sees himself. It's we're looking at him from her point of view, whereas normally we largely see the world through Ricky's perspective, usually through the means of being with him, seeing how they relate to him. Right. The camera is going to be at his eye level when we look at him. The camera is at his eye level and we're not looking down on him. He's he's shorter than everybody else. He's a, he's a kid. Instead of looking at him through the other characters, though, we're we're at his eye level and sometimes we're looking up based on if he's looking up and so we're constantly building our perspective through him and so we identify with him through this movie so whenever he finds acceptance you know you feel at the bedside whenever she's telling him you're gonna run away tomorrow he's like i don't know she's like okay well you know that's cool with me man just be back by breakfast <laughs> you know and i love that it melts you so much more whenever you've been spending your time with him and you kind of get a sense of what that means to him, especially after the after the fact we've I might be reorganizing in my head here. But I want to say that's after we've hung out with him and heck for the first time where he's like, Bella says that I should do something for you. And she's like, what? So what do you want me to do? And he's like, leave me alone. He's like, cool. And he walks away. Like, so we feel his loneliness to some extent. And having that moment with her is like, oh. Now we're, we're getting somewhere. And of course, you know, he has his birthday party and his birthday present, right? He gets his dog, Tupac, all that stuff. And she dies. And that's a great scene too, because if you think about how we see her death, we come on the scene with Ricky as he turns the corner. She's revealed with heck beside her, you know, crying, upset. And so from that, we cut to Ricky's face. We see him react, perspective. And then we cut to a medium wide of Heck and Bella. But here's the thing. That's a really long lens. We're seeing it from a very long distance. And that's in order to reflect Ricky's vantage point way on the other side. We never really get close physically. And so they're just constantly building that. Same thing when Zag dies, the, the dog, right? He gets, he gets put down by Heck. But when Heck pulls the trigger, we're actually with Ricky. And Heck is out of focus. He's in the background. We kind of see it. But we're really seeing Ricky and how he's reacting to that. And it's all in one shot. And it's once again, to reinforce the idea that we're experiencing this story, this world through uh, Ricky, Ricky Baker. And so <laughs> the another thing that they kind of do with perspective is that they close the gap between Heck and Ricky throughout the film. In the beginning, they see each other from across like the, the property. They're not in the same shot. They don't share a frame for quite a while. And then... 
they kind of gradually let them start to share a frame. I think the first time they share a frame, we don't even really see their faces. We're behind them and we're looking at their backs. And that's to kind of reinforce that, you know, they're not really in it together yet. And it takes a while. And eventually they start sharing shots, sharing, sharing the screen and over the shoulders, you know, go from clean singles to dirty singles where maybe you catch Ricky in the, the foreground whenever we're looking at heck and vice versa. And that's to allow them to kind of grow closer visually to reflect that they're growing, you know, together emotionally and as a family. And so at the beginning, at the end, right, they're now fully sharing these these two shots, uh, especially whenever, you know, he goes to uh, to rescue heck from the uh, the retirement home that he's kind of been forced into. And then a really cool thing happens where they're uh, they're both on the screen and they're laying down the rules. I, I have a rule and you got to let me call you uncle. Ah, all right. <laughs> you know, and yeah. Ricky crosses the screen. He closes that gap to give him his hug. It's like, oh, oh yeah. Now we're here. And then, you know, he's like, I got a rule too. You can't shoot me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Man, I never thought, I never thought about the the camera angle aspect of cinematography in general, much less this. Like, I know that camera angles are important. I'm not saying that I didn't know that, but but like when you're filming a movie where you have a tall, grown ass adult and a short adolescent. Mm-hmm. that has to be taken. You can't just, you know, set up the, the camera and, and shoot, you know, you have to shoot for him and shoot for shoot for heck and shoot for Ricky at different heights. Like that has to be taken into account because yeah, like you said, I mean, you feel like you're with him if you're at his eye level, that's freaking brilliant. I never, never thought of that. That's awesome. Yeah. And I, I realized watching this, that I was like, yeah, I don't think we've ever touched on that. So this is no. the perfect film yeah. for that because this is such and a, the whole, and the closing the gap of like yeah. between them. I, I mean, that's, yeah, that's a really great way to tell this, this story through cinematography of like them coming together, Yeah, you know, it's and perfect. then them being together, walking into the bush at the end, oh, you know, that's right. together. Like, yeah, man, so good. They're going to get their bird. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the other cool part too, just to switch back again. Like, there is this aspect of living on the land, living off the land. Then there's this aspect of appreciating it as well. Like we see that, you know, at the start, whenever Ricky and Bella are walking and he's like, can I shoot a horse? And she's like, what do you think I'm going to tell you? <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> like, of course not. Like, that's not what we do here. Yeah. We're, we're doing things with a purpose. And so finding that bird and like appreciating it, that's as much a part of being a naturist as, as, you know, living off the land is. Um, yeah, I thought that was really cool. That's awesome. As far as perspective, there's another small little wrinkle that I liked, which was Paula, the welfare woman, like a uh, social worker. I don't really know what it, her, she has like this crazy title that I forgot already, but I love when she's on the news, we see her running through her checklist again of all the bad things. He like, y'all don't understand the kind of boy we're dealing with here. <laughs> you know? They're like, Oh, well tell us like, she starts running through it and she starts doing that little repeated, uh, no child left behind, <laughs> no child left behind. No child. And I love cutting <laughs> to the reaction shots of the news anchors because they tell us everything we really need to know right now. Up until that point, we've only seen two perspectives, heck and Ricky versus Andy and Paula. Andy's her sidekick. And yeah. now we're like, 
are they really that bad? Is what's going on that bad? And so seeing the news anchors kind of react at like, oh, she, this woman is not well. <laughs> like You can kind of see yeah. them feel that she's warped in her, her, her perspective. That's really good. And then even at the end of the film, she's not really ready to stop. Paula's kind of like wanting to read the Miranda rights. And, and he's like, that, no, we don't do that here. That's more of an American thing. <laughs> and Andy has to tell her like, hey, it's over. You're not a cop. And it's, I feel like speaking a little bit, there's this theme I feel is running throughout the entire film, which is family and belonging and, and being rooted with a sense of purpose. I feel like most characters we meet have that have that aspect to them like psycho sam even is missing that this is what happens whenever you're completely unrooted you know you you lose your mind and you you you're weird and you're you're a asocial as opposed to ricky and 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 heck have their moments too right heck is not the most sociable guy but as time goes on he gets rooted again after losing his his Bella, you start to see him take root a little bit too. And you can see Paula, she's needing that and she has it whenever she's chasing Ricky. Like she's the Terminator and he's, and he's Sarah Connor. Like she has a purpose. <laughs> <laughs> and whenever yeah. that's stripped away, suddenly it's like, oh, who am I now? Um, and so you can feel her looking for significance and belonging. And I feel like that's just kind of echoed through the film, even whenever they're talking about Bella and he's like, she was she didn't have what we have she was trying to create it for us it's like oh mm -hmm. wow yeah and so yeah it's a beautiful movie it has a lot of beautiful ideas and i love the use of nature as a means of healing the people it feels like there's a there's this element of connecting with nature has its own healing element you have this kid from the city who has to leave the city and get into nature and be with the nature dwelling family in order to really, you know, heal and belong and I don't know, mm -hmm. maybe escape the skucks life, whatever skucks is. That's kind of hilarious. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's that's the end of the story. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I like I said earlier, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed being in that world. And I think, if you know, I would just go watch a Wes Anderson movie and get what I wanted. But moving forward but i i really did think that it was like it was very strong it was hilarious at times seeing what's his name sam Neill. murray hewitt in there oh. was just i mean any new zealand film he has to be in yeah he's just always in everything and he just he made it for me but but there was a lot of things that made it for me you know sam neil made it for me i thought i thought uh the kid who played ricky baker was really 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 oh. good as well I like that the casting in, that they picked an overweight kid, yeah, you know, who totally just his character just does not belong in the New Zealand brush, yeah. right? But he thrives in it, right? And you know, he doesn't like lose weight mm. throughout the months, right? He's still him, you know. It's not like uh, you know a story of like change and at least physical change, right? It's just he is, and he's still that afterwards physically it has nothing to do with that it's but like emotionally it's the growth so you have to look at the character's emotional status yeah. at the beginning and at the end rather than you know like watching him physically transform and that's the other thing that makes it hard to determine how long they've been in the brush because it you know normally i guess in, a, in a, another world or in another film you know he would lose weight he'd be skinnier 
because he's eating less or he's not just eating less. He's like eating more off the, just off the land. Right. More like, you know, and um, a lot of exercise uh, running around back there. Exactly. A lot of, a lot of cardio, but they don't identify that at all. And so you have no concept of time. Yeah. And it's only through the dialogue that we realize, oh, it's been six weeks. Oh, they've been gone for four months now. And which is brilliant. I love that. I actually love that because then it actually heightens the craziness of Paula because it's like, oh, it's been six months. Are you kidding me? This woman is still going nuts. And then, you know, the whole time she's treating her sidekick, I forget his name. What's his name again? Andy. Andy. She's treating Andy like garbage, you know, the whole time. And so you're thinking he's like mall cop kind of, you know, whatever. But then at the end, he gets the last word. Like you said, he's like that, you know, says that's an American thing. We don't do that. And you're not a police officer anyway, you know, or something to that effect. And so he, he gets the the last word too. And she just kind of walks up defeated, but it heightens that whole craziness of her now learning through the dialogue that, Oh my gosh, it's been six months or however long and she's still crazy. So I thought it was very interesting way of doing that a smart way of doing it rather than, you know, the typical way. Absolutely. I completely agree because I, I had those same questions running through my mind. Like how long has it been? Because you see him hurt his leg and you're like, Oh man, is, should he be running? Is he going to hurt himself again? Uh, Like it created a a fun little tension until you hear like, Oh yeah, it's been four months. Like, Oh, okay. Well then his leg's probably fine. He said it needed a few weeks. Yeah, we're good. I think actually when he hurts his foot, the next time when they get up and they walk away, they haven't told you at all how Mm -hmm. long it had been. I think like maybe a few minutes later or something, we find out that through some other line that somebody else says that they've been gone for six weeks or it's been six weeks or something which i found pretty funny because whenever he starts saying yeah we need we're gonna need to make up make camp for a few weeks i'm laughing i'm like y'all aren't gonna you know build a a shelter around him just because he hurt his foot why wouldn't you go back home and then as you know they do leave and they run into those hunters at one point they realize like oh crap we're like now we're on the lamb like and so it just created like a little bit of hilarity of disbelief and how committed these characters are to kind of their i don't know their world and their lifestyle yeah yeah that's great i enjoyed it i enjoyed it yeah same here man nice nice well cool what do you uh what are you gonna recommend this week so last night sat down was just hanging out with uh my wife and uh her her best friend b who came over just to say hi and she mentioned the Wonder Years. And I thought, I wonder what the pilot was like on The Wonder Years. And I looked it up and it's on Hulu. So we watched the first two episodes and it's brilliant. The first episode, my wife was in tears. Uh, just, it's so, so, so good. Any, whatever you thought about The Wonder Years, it's still that good. So I'm going <laughs> to recommend the pilot. I don't, I haven't watched past two episodes, but I'll recommend the pilot of the Wonder Years. Nice. I I'm yeah, man. absolutely gonna go watch that. That's such a good Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were gonna I knew you were gonna like be like, oh yeah, I'm in. I'm, <laughs> I'm in. in all the way. Yeah. It's a it's a pretty easy watch, you know. Nice. I'm gonna recommend so if you like this this dynamic of kid with a grumpy old man, then you really absolutely have to go watch St. Vincent. It's Bill Murray and he's he's fantastic it also stars melissa mccarthy 
I'm not a Melissa McCarthy fan. I don't find her humor very funny to me. And so I, I relented very reluctantly whenever I finally watched this because I was like, I, I, I'm not a fan of hers, um, but she's not, she's not funny in this. She's, it's pure drama, you know, from, from her, per, you know, performance. And she is absolutely terrific. Like she is fan freaking tastic. And I would highly recommend like any other dramas that she's in, like I want to watch because she is so, so good. Her drama, I'm all there for it. And so St. Vincent is for you. Like I promise if you watch this movie, You'll be in tears, you'll laugh, and you'll completely enjoy the dynamics that are at play. I mean, it's Bill Murray. Come on. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I'll go watch that. I've been looking for a new film that I haven't seen. I haven't seen it. Ooh. So, yeah, I'm going to go, check I'm gonna go watch it. If you like yeah. it, maybe we'll, maybe we'll cover that one. I forgot all about it. Okay. Nice. Stay tuned for next week. We were going to touch on Nomadland. That's been hanging around. I'm I'm loving all the award attention it's getting. This was recommended to me by Alex, one of our listeners. And I watched it and absolutely loved it. And so go check it out and stay tuned next week when we cover it. Don't forget to subscribe, drop us a review. If you want to leave us a note saying that, hey, talk about this or cover this movie, you know, let us know. We did Hunt for the Wilder People as a request from Cassie, who is also editing this episode. And so don't forget. <laughs> thanks, to, Cassie. Yeah, thanks. And don't forget to drop us a review, Cassie. <laughs> but yeah, so, you know, if you want to leave a comment on this episode and tell us what you thought about it, you can do that at the pestlepodcast.com slash hunt for the wilder people. And our quote of the day is from Walt Whitman. I believe a leaf of grass is no less than the journey work of the stars. And it's just absolutely true and, and beautiful in every way i mean everything came from the same place wherever you want to say that that's yeah. from yeah we are star stuff we are star for sure stuff. so cool so why why um just because of the nature aspect yeah why the nature aspect i was like who do i want to hear from about nature and i was like the freaking man himself like Walt yeah. Whitman has written some of the most beautiful poems and I haven't read a ton of them to be, to be frank. Um, but I always think Walt Whitman when I think of nature. And so, yeah, I, I wanted to hear from him and I stumbled across this. There's several good ones, of course, but this one kind of spoke to the awe inspiring aspect of nature. Like just to think of and compare a leaf of grass to the journey work of stars is beautiful. I mean, if you think, you know, the, the distance and the complexity that it takes for starlight to reach the earth. That's, that's pretty magnificent. And to also think of the, the growth and what it takes, you know, for a leaf, for a simple everyday forgettable leaf, you know, to be in existence and to arrive where it did and how it did. That's no less absolutely awe-inspiring. Yeah. Don't think too hard on it because yeah, it'll, it'll melt your yeah, brain. Right. <laughs> melt your brain i remember the first time when i was a kid hearing about the idea that i went to catholic school hearing about the idea that god always was i mean whether you believe in god or not it doesn't even matter just imagine something always being you i mean it like really sit and think it, it will melt your brain the, the same way of like what how we got here in the first place and not all the things that had to happen for me and you to be talking right now about this thing at this moment, even, you know, it's just unbelievable. It's unbelievable. So yeah, 
I mean, that is, we should do an episode just on that kind of stuff. Yeah. I would love to talk all day long oh on that. Oh, God. Wow. Man, fantastic, man. Thank you so much. And thank you, Cassie, for the recommendation. And if anybody has any more recommendations, please let us know. Please review us and subscribe, all that stuff that Wes just said. Make sure to join us next week when we're going to be doing Nomad Land and watch it beforehand because we're going to spoil a lot of stuff. Until then, I'm Todd. I'm Wes. Go watch some movies. Thank you.